Um, today is Palm Sunday, and today is preparation for Easter. And so we come here today to celebrate, in many ways, to prepare our hearts for what God is going to be doing this week. And so I wanted to share real quickly before we go into our song of preparation what this week looks like. Um, as we know that during the, uh, the Holy Week that there's always extra services. As you know, we're one of those churches that's not about extra services except for Holy Week and Christmas. And so here's what this week looks like. On Thursday, Monday, Thursday, uh, we will be hosting God in the Bar again. Now, why are we doing this twice this month? Because I know several people who will show up at God in the Bar will not show up on church on Good Friday or Sunday. So, here's an opportunity for you to connect with your friends who wrestle with faith, have questions with faith on Thursday nights. If you have a, a friend who is struggling with their faith that you are constantly engaging in conversations for, bring them out, okay? We will buy them drinks, we will buy them food, and we will have, once again, another great dialogue on Christ and culture, okay? So that's Thursday night. Now listen to me. I would rather you bring a friend to that than show up to Good Friday or Easter Sunday morning, okay? Why? Because that's why we do what we do. That's why we gather. We gather to do what? Scatter. We gather to scatter into the world. Second, Friday is Good Friday. 6.30, we will be having a service here. There will be nursery for kids up until kindergarten, all right? We will be having our Good Friday service. This is another great opportunity, not only for you to come worship, but also to be able to bring your loved ones, okay? And then on Easter Sunday, we will be doing church like we do every single week. I want to really challenge you this week and we're going to be talking about this through this morning, of preparing our hearts for what God wants to continually be doing within us. And not only within us, because oftentimes we get very selfish when we say that. You know, what is God doing in my life? But instead, looking at it this way, God, what are you doing in my life so that I can be present in the world that you have me living in? What do you want to do in my life so that I can be present in the world that you have me living in. Okay? So here's what I want to do is, let's, we're going to go into our song of preparation. I want you to start asking that question. What are you preparing me for? What are you preparing me for? So let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this morning. And yes, God, we are excited. I love this place. I love that together we can laugh. I love the community that we have. I thank you for this past Wednesday night when, when Missy was baptized. I thank you that just the joy that we had of celebrating her new life in Christ. God, I thank you for her story. God, I celebrate that, that a month ago she came up to me and she's like, I need to get baptized. And, and I told her, Let, we'll wait till the summer. And she said, no, now. That is true passion. That is true love for her Savior. I ask you, Jesus, that as we go into a time of preparation, a time of preparing our hearts for Holy Week, that we would not just go through the motions of, of religion, but that we would engage with our Savior, with our faith. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As many of you know, when we do a baby dedication, I always read the passage from Deuteronomy where 
where Moses tells the people to prepare their children, to talk about the things of the Lord no matter where they're at, on the road, in the home, everywhere. And I always talk to you when I dedicate a child that, that as parents, we have to look for those moments of preparation, those moments that we could speak the gospel into our children's life. And one of the things that I've really enjoyed, especially as my kids have gotten older, is those opportunities. I think about Brandon. He's in high school. And I love the idea that whenever we're in the car, we have these moments of talking about the future, about talking about what's next. It's almost like with sports, too. I love teaching my kids sports. I love coaching my kids. And I love when I'm teaching Ben how to be a point guard is that teaching him the angles of where he needs to go so that he can beat his guy to the basket. I love those opportunities. Because every time I'm teaching my child something, whether it be on the basketball courts or whether it be about life, I'm always trying to give them a projection of what's next, right? We give our children projections of what's next. Because as adults, we have hindsight. We're able to turn around and say, I am going to prepare you to work through the issues of life to cause you to be successful, Correct? And it's something that we want to do constantly because we want our children to succeed. It's funny is when we look at Mark chapter 9, once again we see Jesus doing this with the disciples. Once again we see that Jesus is preparing his disciples for not only his death, but his resurrection. And so here's what I want you to do. Open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 9. And if you have a church Bible, it's on page 605. And I find it so interesting because when people talk about God, when people talk about faith, they often talk about it in, in a way of being blindsided, of a way of, of seeming as if we were never told what was going to happen next. But that's so different than the truth of Scripture. Because what we're going to see is not only did Jesus prepare his disciples, God has been preparing his people all along for not only the death, but the life that Jesus had brought to us. Mark chapter 9, starting at verse 2. Now listen to these words. All of it plays a role into last week. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Stop. So here's the situation. Six days after, Jesus had prepared his disciples about what was going to happen next, and about what it meant of being a follower of his, he took Peter, James, and John up on a mountain. Now, why did he only choose these three? Because all throughout the disciples' journey with Christ, Jesus always took these three men away for leadership moments. Because these three men were basically the leaders of Jesus' other leaders. And so in this, it was another moment, like after Jesus just spoke to the crowds, after he just taught some really hard teachings, 
He said, Peter, James, and John, let's go have another moment. I'm going to teach you some stuff so that you can teach the disciples even deeper things than I've already shared with them. So we've all heard this story. We've heard the story that Jesus goes up on a mountain with these three men, and while they are watching Jesus, two significant events happen. First, Jesus transforms into this glorious being. He is so radiant that it even says in Scripture that it is whiter than any earthly what? Bleach. Now think about this. What does bleach do? Bleach purifies. Bleach cleanses. Bleach takes the smallest little spots and makes them white. It's what we all do. All of our whites we put with bleach to make them even what? Whiter. Cleaner. So that there's an appearance that shines. And so as they're up there on the mountain, they're watching Jesus, and he's going through this transformation. But it's not really a transformation. He's being transfigured. You see, there's a difference between being transformed and being transfigured. To be transformed is to be made into something new. To be transfigured is to reveal the truth of what's actually there. And so in other words, what happened was God in the presence of these three men took off the earthly covering of Jesus to show the brightness of God's glory. The Shekinah glory of God. And as they're standing there, they're, they're seeing Jesus in a whole new light. It's almost as if their spiritual eyes were purposely open to the fullness of who Christ is. And not only was Jesus there, but supernaturally transported, Elijah and a Moses appeared. Now think about this. We know the story about Jesus, Moses going on Mount Sinai. And as Moses is on Mount Sinai, what happens to him? When he is in the presence of God, his faith and his face begins to shine just like Jesus was doing at that moment. To the point that when Moses came off the mountain, the people wouldn't even look at Moses. They said to him that he had to cover his face because they were terrified by the presence of God. Very interesting. Two scenarios. Moses climbs the mountain and he sees the Shekinah glory. Jesus climbs the mountain and the Shekinah, the Shekinah glory of God is being revealed within him. And not only was Moses with him, but Elijah was as well. Now think for a moment. What happens to you when things that are out of the ordinary take place? What happens to you when you are put in a situation that you are pleasantly overwhelmed or surprised? You begin to freak out. You don't know how to handle yourself, but for Jesus, Jesus very specifically invited these three men to participate in this event. But think about this. 
When has something very significant in your life happened that you've just kind of freaked out and missed the whole point of you being present? Let's see what it says. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't really know what else to say, for they were all terrified. If you look at this in a Greek, it's not really an exclamation. It's actually a question. Peter is literally asking Jesus, is it good for us to be here? Is it? Peter's nervous. He's living in a place of fear. He's overwhelmed that he is not supposed to be in this moment. And not only that, but what does he do when he's standing in the presence of God? And it's interesting because when you look at the story of Moses, and you look at the story of the transfiguration, the same thing happened with the people. The people asked Moses to cover his face, to not reveal the glory of God. And Peter does the same thing. In his nervousness, in his excitement, he says, how about I do this? Let me make three tents for you. One for you, one for Elijah, and one for Moses. So that you can commune with God all by yourself. You're too bright. You're too glorious. You're too holy. And I cannot stand in your presence. I come back to that and how true that is with people. I think about the idea of even when I've seen things in my life happen, things that are, are supernatural and overwhelming, that, that I almost miss the moment. I miss the moment that God wants me to be in. I miss the moment of, of believing that God loves me so much that He wants to reveal Himself to me. And so many people in their nervousness and in their fear of who God is, is that every time that God tries to reveal Himself, what does He do? Or what do they do? They shut it down. They try not to believe it. And they push it off and they try to hide it because they want nothing to do with it more out of fear than anything else. But you see, Jesus specifically and constantly revealed himself to his disciples to invite them to participate on not only knowing God, but to make him known. And for these three men, yes, they were overwhelmed. But there was a reason for them to be there. There was a purpose that they were invited on top of the mountain to see this supernatural event take place. And in that moment, Peter, just like the Israelites, and just like we often do, try to escape from what God wants us to participate 
in with himself. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever had an opportunity presented to you to, to be a part of what God is doing? Have you ever seen something really amazing going on that you know that that's God speaking to you to participate in? And the only thing that keeps you from stepping into it is fear. I had one of those situations this week. I'm probably the worst handyman in the world. And it's a tension in my house. Because everything I try to fix, I break. And so the toilet breaks this week. Matter of fact, last week. It was broken for a whole week and all my kids were yelling at me, why can't you fix the toilet? Because I don't know how. So I'm like, that's it. I'm going to fix the toilet. So I go to the plumber's shop on 17 and I get the pieces. I bring it back and it's the wrong pieces. And then I go back to the plumber place and all of a sudden there's this guy there that's just freaking out. He had an injury, didn't know what to do with it. This is all in the plumber shop. And I'm thinking, okay, what do I do? What do I do? And this one guy goes to me, he goes, because I I told him that I had that day off and I was running around doing things. He goes, what are you, a doctor? Meaning that, you know, only doctors get off in the middle of the week. I said, no, I'm a minister. And he goes, that guy over there needs you. Why don't you go help him? I'm like, yeah, I'm going right now. And I got to be honest with you. It was a place that most people thought would be a place of tension. What do I do for this guy? Do I stop? Do I talk with them? Do I actually, in a plumbing building, pray for him in public? And I'll be very honest with you. All throughout my journey of faith, God has done this with me. And in the beginning of my journey with faith, I always was like, what do I do? I don't want to seem wacky. I don't want to seem crazy. But every time that I've never allowed myself to be present in those moments, I know God has said, you just missed me out of fear. And this time I just started cracking up. I literally started laughing. Like, yeah, I'm a minister. I said, come here. He's like, huh? He said, come here. And he comes over and I say, hey, you come here too. So the owner of the shop and the person who's hurt I brought them together. I said, you said I'm a minister, so you're going to help me pray for this guy. And right there at Davidson's Plumbing, we stopped and we had a healing service. Now that sounds crazy and it sounds wacky, but I've been in those situations like Peter, where God has invited me to see something so much more than I could ever imagine. And I've been in those situations that I've walked away from and said, if I only lived in that moment. And for Peter, this was one of the greatest moments that he's ever experienced. He has prayed to see the Messiah. He has prayed to see God in in a whole new light. And in that moment when Jesus fully reveals himself. Peter what? He chokes. And he's missing what God wants to invite him to participate in. 
I gotta be honest with you, church. That happens way too often. And I know most people say, well, you're a minister, that's what you're paid to do. It's not true. That's what God invites us all to participate in. He invites us all constantly to see Himself in those moments. Let's continue. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone, and, and they saw only Jesus with them. As they went back down the mountain, he told them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept it to themselves. But they often asked each other what he meant by rising from the dead. Stop right there. We have no idea the conversation between Elijah, Moses, and Jesus. All we knew was that God had sent them to commune with Jesus. Doesn't seem like it makes sense. Seems far out there. Seems crazy, but for some reason, God had sent these two prophets to encourage Jesus, to build him up, and to prepare him from what lies ahead. And what I find so interesting is that Jesus never kept his disciples in the dark. He always told them what was next. And it's interesting because when you look at this one, he, he not only says the same thing that he said to them in the past, don't tell anyone, but instead he says this, for now, don't tell anyone. But when I rise from the dead, when I rise from the grave, when I come back to life, that's when you share it. You share with them what you have seen. It's funny because I come back to this idea that we, we often think that God never prepares us. God never shares with us the future. He never tells us about the things that we're going to have to endure and the struggles that we go through. And yet all along, throughout all of history, God prepared the Israelites. God prepared his disciples. God prepared the apostles. And all throughout his scripture, he prepares us. Let me just show, reveal two biblical understandings. This first picture of the three men being together, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah is the complete story of the, of the narrative of the gospel. The whole gospel is wrapped up in these three persons. Moses brought the law, the need for redemption. Moses was the one who wrote the law of God on the tablets and he said, here's the things that keep you from God and your reason for needing a redeemer. 
And so all along, the Israelites were prepared that, hey, I realize that in my humanity, that my nature keeps me from knowing God fully. But then who is Elijah? He's the prophet who tells us about our Redeemer. The prophet of tell, who tells us the one who is to come. The prophet who tells us about the future of our hope, of our eternity. And then right there in that moment, we have the Redeemer in their presence. The transfiguration is the gospel message wrapped up in three. These three men. And it's almost as if Jesus is saying, let me tell you the whole story of humanity's need for a Savior. It's sin that keeps man from God. It's the promise of a Redeemer who points men back to God. And that Redeemer is found in me who brings eternity and life. I've never thought of the transfiguration like that. We often look at Scripture when we take it so simply that it's just another story to kind of convince people. Convince people that, that Jesus went up on the mountain and did these supernatural things, but all along, that's not what it was. It was God constantly revealing himself to humanity, introducing them and welcoming them on a journey of eternity. I love the idea about Jesus, that he was not just a Messiah, but he was a rabbi. He was a teacher. And all the way down the mountain, he taught them. He taught them. Let's see what it says. Let's read this again, verse 9. As they went back down the mountain, he told them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept it to themselves, but they often asked each other what it meant by rising from the dead. Then they asked him, why do the teachers of religious law insist that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? Jesus responded, Elijah is indeed coming first to get everything ready. Yet why do the scriptures say the Son of Man must suffer greatly and be treated with utter contempt? Rabbis were known to rephrasing questions. He wasn't just going to tell them what they had to believe, but he was going to propose a question to invite them to remember the teachings of the Old Testament. I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they chose to abuse him just as the scriptures predicted. Any good rabbi would pose a question with a question. Rabbis were not there to tell them what to believe. They were there to introduce them and lead them into a life of faith. And this was one of the tensions of the disciples. Why do you have to die? Why do you have to go through this torturous death 
And what Jesus is saying in the glimpse is he's pointing him back to the Old Testament. Isaiah 53, verse 3. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God. A punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. Crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. And he was whipped so that we could be healed. Jesus constantly pointed back to reveal what was going to happen next. This was not Jesus' plan. This was God's eternal plan that Jesus was partnering in as God's son. Do you think that Jesus really wanted to go through a torturous death? This was that moment that Jesus could have proved himself That he could have gone into Jerusalem and ridden a horse instead of a donkey, but instead, in obedience, he constantly looked back to see what's forward. And how true is it even as a parent? And that's why I brought up that point. Hindsight is always better. We prepare our kids for the future. We tell our kids the things that are going to happen next. Why? So that they will succeed. So that they will be successful. I don't want Brandon to go through the same things that I've gone through. I want Ben to be a better basketball player than I was a basketball player. I want all my children to thrive and to use the wisdom that God has given me to point them forward. And that's what Jesus does the whole time with his disciples. You see, the reason that they were with Jesus up on the mountain was not for some Christological event, something supernatural to happen. But rather, he was preparing them for what was to come. He was going to once again allow them to be in the fullness of God, in the presence of God, to encourage them, to build them up, to strengthen them. For two reasons. One, because the trials were going to come. The hardships were going to happen. And it was in this moment that they could look back and remember, you know why I need to stand strong? Because Jesus is real. Do you know why I need to hold on to my faith? Because everything that Jesus had told us was going to happen did happen. But it's even more than that. The church does not like to talk about the suffering of a Savior. We don't like to bring up this idea that that God so loved the world that He sent His Son. We like that part, but the part we don't like is that but He had to be killed. He had to be tortured. He had to be crucified so that humanity could have everlasting life. And even in these glorious moments, Jesus is saying that yes, this is who I actually am. 
but for the fullness of who I am to be fully revealed. I'm going to be put to death. And I'm going to be tortured. And we can't forget about that part. I know that's a part of many churches that they want to live, leave out. They want to leave out that Jesus was tortured, that Jesus was put to death. That Jesus' life had to come to an end. That Jesus did have to be betrayed. Jesus did have to be denied. But when we look at the story of, of, of the narrative of Scripture, that's the fullness of the Gospel. That God sent His Son in our place so that we can have eternity. And that's a sticking point. We want to believe in God. We want to believe in Jesus as this nice prophet. But if we don't believe in the life and the death, there's no resurrection. And this was hard for the disciples because they didn't want to believe. So think about this. If they did not want to believe and they were with him all the time, how much harder and how much more difficult it is for us to embrace this. But that's the preparation for Easter. Because it doesn't stop at glorious moments like the transfiguration. It doesn't stop at his beatings and his torture. It doesn't stop at his death. But look what Jesus said. When I rise from the dead, then share this with them. We have an eternal hope that God is preparing for us. Not just an eternal heavenly home hope, but an eternal hope that in our present, no matter what trials, no matter what difficulties, no matter what comes up, He is always in our presence. But there's one major thing that I left out about this. The father spoke to the son. And once again, like at his baptism, he said this. This is my son and who I'm well pleased. All throughout the life of Jesus, the father affirmed the son. All throughout his life, the father affirmed his son. He did it at his birth with the angels. He did it at his baptism in the voice and with the dove. He did it at the transfiguration. And then he does it at his death. All throughout the life of Jesus, God affirms his son. And every time that we follow Jesus... Every time we clothe ourselves with Christ, as it says with Scripture, the moment Jesus becomes our Lord and Savior, the Father affirms us. In our victories, our Father affirms us. 
In our trials, the Father affirms us. In our failures, the Father affirms us. And in our death, the Father affirms us. Because one day when we are in heaven, our Father will affirm us. When you choose to follow the way of Jesus, when you choose to be on mission with Jesus, the Father is constantly affirming you. And we all know what happens when a father affirms their child. It's the catalyst to their success. Affirmation is a child's catalyst to success. This was not just some story where Jesus just heard his father, yeah, yeah, thanks, dad. I believe every time the father affirmed the son, Jesus took another deep breath to give him the strength to walk to the cross. And I want to challenge you now. I want to challenge you Think about all the moments that God has invited you to participate in. How many times have you missed it? How many times have you backed away? And all I'm challenging with is this is begin to see more clearly. Stop being like Peter. Every day of your spiritual journey, God is trying to open your spiritual eyes more and more. Begin to look in a new way. Begin to see things differently. That's my first. My second is this. Embrace the death of Jesus. Do not shy away from it. Because in his death, we have eternity. And in his death, we believe in his life. When we admit as a church that the Son of God was crucified, dead and buried, we are professing as a body that he was also resurrected. I'm going to invite Kurt to come up and lead us in communion. But I want you to think about this. As you know, at the end of services, I open the floor for questions. So after communion, if anyone has a comment or question, that would be the time if you're stirring with something. But think about this. Think about his transfiguration. Think about why did he invite these three. Think about the times that, that you've been invited to see what God is doing and you've pushed him away. But even more so, think about how you really believe about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jeremy, of Kurt.